Good morning, church family. We are back in the book of Daniel today. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, looking at the entirety of the chapter this morning. And if you're using one of the Bibles that we provide under the seats, you will find this on page 744. That's page 744. I've entitled today's, today's message, The Triumph of God's Kingdom. As always, I'll begin in a word of prayer, and then we will consider the text. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather today. Lord, we thank you for calling us to salvation, for providentially bringing us together as a single local church. Lord, we thank you for how you have blessed this church. And Lord, we trust that you have been pleased with our worship today. Now as we open up the book of Daniel to consider this important chapter, I pray that you would give us understanding. And then, Lord, that you would help us to make application of the passage to our lives. Lord, change our perspective as we go through this together. Our times are in your hands, Lord, this church is in your hands, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in my very first sermon from the book of Daniel, I noted that this book breaks into two major sections. In chapters 1 through 3, we have Daniel's life. Then chapters 7 through 12, we have Daniel's visions. And so today we're beginning our walk through this second major section. And the first vision recorded in this section is a vision of four beasts. It's a complicated vision. It's a complicated chapter. But I am confident that all of you are capable of tracking with me as we go through it together. And I believe it will be profitable for all of us. Now here's how we're going to proceed this morning. We're going to begin with the first half of Daniel chapter 7. We're going to walk through all of the images that Daniel saw in this vision. We're going to understand these visions. Then we'll walk through it a second time and understand the interpretation of the images. After that, we'll move to the second half of the chapter. In the second half, the text zeroes in on the last image of the vision. We're given additional details about that image and then its interpretation. So we will go through that together, and then we'll conclude our time with some practical applications. Okay, so that's where we're headed together. We begin then in verse 1. Here we're given the historical setting for the vision. We're told that Daniel received this vision in the first year of Belshazzar, the king of Babylon. That would place Daniel's vision in the year 553 B.C. At this time, the prophet Daniel was about 67 years old, and the demise of the Babylonian Empire was still about 14 years away. The second part of verse 1 tells us that the vision came to Daniel while he lay in bed one night, but immediately Daniel knew he wasn't just... Uh, looking at a dream from his own head. No, this was a revelation from the God of heaven. And so he recorded it so that it could be preserved for posterity. And now we come to the vision itself, verses 2 through 14. 
First image that Daniel sees, verse 2, is the image of a great sea. And the sea is being stirred up by powerful winds. And then out of this sea, one at a time, arises four hideous beasts. These four beasts represent four kingdoms, which we will identify in a little bit. First beast in the vision is recorded in verse 4. Daniel writes, The first was like a lion, and he had eagle's wings. Then I, as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. Then the second beast, verse 5, Daniel writes, And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. Then the third beast, verse 6, Daniel writes, After this I looked, and behold, another, a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And then the fourth beast, verse 7, Daniel writes, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. That is, what was left of the other beasts. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And then in verse 8, Daniel elaborates on these horns. He says, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up from among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Okay, so here's the first part of Daniel's vision. I, I trust you were able to track with it. So he sees this raging sea. It's being stirred up by powerful winds. And then one at a time, these awful beasts emerge out of the water. These beasts representing four kingdoms. One beast like a lion, another like a bear, another like a leopard, and then one just identified as a terrible and dreadful beast. And this terrible and dreadful beast has a series of horns on its head. But then three of the horns are plucked out, and a new horn emerges, a little horn. This is the first part of what Daniel sees. But then as we come to verses 9 through 14, the imagery changes. In this part of Daniel's vision, we leave behind the sea and all of its beasts, and we are taken to a throne room. And we are introduced to a new being called the Ancient of Days. And in verses 9 through 14, Daniel describes the appearance of the Ancient of Days for us. He tells us, verse 9, the Ancient of Days took his seat upon a throne. Now this speaks both to the authority of the Ancient of Days as well as to his confidence I mean, beneath him, there is a raging sea, there are all these hideous beasts, but the Ancient of Days is not troubled by any of it. He just remains seated on a throne. He's in control. He's confident. 
Then we see that his clothing was white as snow. This speaks of the holiness of the Ancient of Days. And then next it says, his hair was white like wool. This speaks of his wisdom. And then it says, his throne and its wheels were engulfed in flames. So, the throne of the Ancient of Days was a chariot throne. The throne is engulfed in fire. This speaks of the judgments that are building around his throne. And in verse 10, we see that finally these judgments are unleashed. Verse 10 says, a stream of fire issued out of the Ancient of Days throne. Better, I think it's translated, a river of fire is unleashed from the throne. This river of fire engulfs the little horn, and it destroys it, and then it engulfs the entire beast that the horn was upon, destroying that, and then by extension, destroying all of the prior beasts of the vision. You'll notice here the destruction of that horn and all of the beasts is sudden, it is spectacular, it is total. And then... The Ancient of Days inaugurates a new kingdom, a kingdom to replace the kingdoms that he has just destroyed. This begins in verse 13. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. So here's yet another individual. Son of man. That means a human person. But you'll notice this human person is also divine. He comes on the clouds of heaven and all over the, the scriptures, the, the image of clouds of heaven speak of the deity of the individual. So this new being presents himself. He is both human and divine. He presents himself to the ancient of days. And then verse 14 A coronation takes place. The Ancient of Days crowns the Son of Man king, and he gives him dominion and glory and a kingdom. And this kingdom extends all over the earth, and it lasts forever and ever. You see that bottom of verse 14. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. His kingdom, one that shall never be destroyed. So in contrast to the kingdoms of the four beasts which arose, had their moment in the sun, and then were gone, the Son of Man establishes a kingdom, and His is forever and ever. All right, so this is the vision that Daniel saw. And scared Daniel out of his mind. Look at verse 15. It says, As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions in my head alarmed me. Now, who can blame Daniel? I mean, these are some intense images. I mean, you've got this raging sea. You've got these ugly beasts emerging from the sea one at a time. Then you've got this final beast with its horns, and then three horns plucked out. A little horn emerges in its place. Then you've got the the throne room of the Ancient of Days. You've got fire building around his throne. And then a river of fire pouring from the throne, consuming the little horn, consuming the beasts. And then the Son of Man presenting himself, receiving a crown 
and coming down and establishing a new kingdom that covers all humanity. This is intense stuff. Daniel was scared of the images that he saw. In verse 16, Daniel asks, what does all of this imagery mean? What what am I to make of all of this? And in verses 17 and 18, Daniel receives his answer. Here's the answer. It says, these four great beasts are four kings, or four kingdoms ruled by kings, who shall arise out of the earth. Verse 18, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. If I can summarize that interpretation just in my own words, here is what Daniel was seeing. The Lord was giving Daniel a prophecy of the course of world history, beginning with his own lifetime and going right on through to the very end of the age. These four beasts represented four world empires, which would arise in world history, have their time in the sun, and then be destroyed, and then the next would take its place. Four major world empires. And then the vision closed by explaining how God will one day bring an end to all of the hideous kingdoms of men and inaugurate his own kingdom of righteousness on the earth. That's what Daniel was seeing. Let's return to the beginning now and and get more specific. So the vision began with a great sea churned up by wind. The sea represents the fallen human race. The fallen human race in all of its sin, unrest, turmoil, and chaos. We know this because the Old Testament scriptures repeatedly compare fallen humanity to a raging sea. And the four beasts represent four world empires led by four tyrants over the course of human history. Each one arises out of the sea of humanity and dominates the world for a time. And Bible commentators are virtually unanimous on the identification of these four kingdoms. They are the same four kingdoms that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his vision back in Daniel chapter 2. Only there, Nebuchadnezzar saw a vision of a statue with four parts. In Daniel 7, the prophet Daniel sees a sea with four beasts. But they are both seeing the same thing. These are the same kingdoms in the same order. The first beast that Daniel saw was a lion. This represents the Babylonian Empire. That's the world's very first superpower. It's the superpower that was on the earth during Daniel's lifetime. In the vision, the lion's wings are plucked, which represents the humiliation of Babylon's greatest king, Nebuchadnezzar, during the years that God unhinged his mind. And then at the end of the vision, when that lion stands up on its hind legs and it's given the mind of a man, this speaks to Nebuchadnezzar having his mind restored and enjoying glory once more. Then there's the second beast, the bear. 
This represents the kingdom that would follow the Babylonian Empire. This is the Medo-Persian Empire. This bear was raised up on one side in the vision because the Persian side of the Medo-Persian Empire was the more powerful side. And the three ribs in the bear's mouth in the vision, those represent the empire's three great conquests. The conquest of Asia Minor in 546, conquest of Babylon 539, conquest of Egypt in 525 B.C. And then the third beast was a leopard. This represents the empire which would follow the Medo-Persians. This is the Grecian Empire. The symbol of the leopard with four wings speaks to the speed with which this empire would conquer all of its foes. And indeed, history confirms that the Grecian Empire conquered its enemies with unprecedented rapidity. Alexander the Great was the leader of the Grecian Empire, and he conquered all of the known world inside of just 10 years. He was still in his early 30s when all of his foes were put down. Following Alexander the Great's death, the Grecian Empire was broken into four provinces. Each of these provinces was ruled by one of Alexander's generals. And that's why the leopard has four heads in Daniel's vision. And then finally, that fourth beast, the one called the terrifying and dreadful beast, this is the Roman Empire, the empire of iron. That's why it has iron teeth. Roman Empire conquered Greece around 30 B.C. And as we saw in Chapter 2, this empire will persist in one form or another right on through the present age. It may take different names, it may go through different political phases, but it will persist right on through as the world's dominant power until the end, when God, the Ancient of Days, replaces it with his own kingdom on earth. Friends, this is the interpretation of Daniel's vision. And as we move now to the second half of the chapter, that's verses 19 through 28, we find that Daniel was particularly interested in this fourth beast with all of its horns. Daniel wanted to learn more about how the present age will come to an end, how God's kingdom is going to replace the kingdoms of men. And so here in the second half of Daniel 7, God provides those desired details. He explains in much more detail how God is going to bring this great transition about. God explains in these verses that at the very, very end of history, the fourth beast, Rome, will not be a unified empire as it was in the beginning. Instead, at the very end, it's going to look a lot more like a confederacy. There will be different nations with competing interests. They will be ruled by different men who have different priorities. It will be an inherently unstable political situation. But then out of this political instability, there will arise a new leader. 
he will try to bring order out of the chaos. Now, in Daniel's vision, this new leader who emerges at the end, he is called the Little Horn. The scriptures have many other names for him, however. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 refers to him as the man of lawlessness or the son of destruction. Uh, Revelation 13 verse 1 calls him the beast. And 1 John 2 verse 18 calls him the Antichrist. This is because he is the very opposite of Christ in every way, and he opposes Christ's program. But this is who was being revealed to Daniel. As we look at verses 24 and 25 of the chapter, we're offered a few details about the career of Antichrist at the very end of the age. Verse 24 tells us that he will rise to power suddenly and unexpectedly. We're told in the same verse that he will consolidate his power quickly and effectively. That's why the three horns, three of the ten horns on the beast's head are displaced and then the third, uh, or the, the new little horn takes its place. See, he's consolidating political power at the end. Verse 25 tells us this man will also be a blasphemer. It says he will speak words against the Most High. He will also be a persecutor of God's people. Verse 25 says he will wear out the saints of the Most High. You know, that phrase, wear out, is also used of old garments. The idea is that he will oppose God's people and he will unleash persecution upon them, the likes of which the world has never seen before. It will not be localized. It will be empire-wide. God's people will be worn out by all of the persecution. Verse 25, he will even try to stamp out every last vestige of biblical religion. It says he will try to uh, change the times and the law. That means he's trying to abolish the liturgical calendar. He's trying to overturn the laws of God. He wants all vestiges of biblical religion taken away. But thankfully... His reign of terror will not last for long. The very end of verse 25 says, It will only last for a time, times, and half a time. That means three and a half years. It will be an unprecedented reign of terror, particularly for God's people. But it will be short-lived. Three and a half years. And it will all be over. How will his reign come to an end? Well, we saw it in verses 9 and 10. The ancient of days, that is God, will pour out his river of fire over that little horn and his kingdom, destroying them completely. We also see this in verse 26, the end of the chapter. It says, God will personally destroy this man and his corrupt kingdom. Then after he is finally out of the way, that is when Christ, the Son of Man, in Daniel's vision, will descend from heaven in the clouds, will come and inaugurate his own kingdom on the earth. Kingdom of righteousness, 
to replace all of the hideous kingdoms of men that came before. This will be the fulfillment of the Lord's prayer. Remember, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here is the fulfillment of that prayer request. And once on his throne, our Lord will reign over this earth forever and ever. And we, his saints, will share in his rule. My friends, that is the glory that awaits the people of God. Unless there be any question about this interpretation of Daniel's vision, allow me to take you to Mark chapter 14, verses 61 and 62. Mark 14, verses 61 and 62. You need not turn there, though you may if you wish. I'll read the text for you. To give you the context of Mark 14, our Lord Jesus is about to be crucified, and he's having a conversation with the men who will crucify him. And here is what he says to them. He says, I am the Christ, the Son of the Blessed, and you, my persecutors, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Listen to those words again. He says to them, You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus is quoting Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. He was saying this to his killers. He's saying, You're going to crucify me. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. But on the third day after, I'm going to rise from the dead. And then I'm going to ascend back into heaven where I will enjoy a session at my Father's right hand. But then when he says the moment is right, he's going to crown me king, send me back to the earth. We will destroy the kingdoms of men. We will destroy that little horn. I will become king. I will rule over all nations forever and ever. And my people with me. And you will see it with your own eyes. Because every knee shall bow on that day. Some in joy, some in terror. But everyone will bow. So you see, Daniel 7 is not about Christ's first coming. It's about his second. It's not about the birth of the church. It's about the inauguration of the final kingdom of God on the earth. Jesus affirms it himself in Mark chapter 14. So my friends, this is how the kingdoms of men will give way to the kingdom of God. Life on earth It's not going to get better and better. It's going to grow more and more challenging. Until finally, at the very end, one ruler will emerge who makes life particularly painful for God's people. But it will be a short-lived reign of terror as God himself destroys that man and the kingdom that he represents as he crowns his own son, King of kings and Lord of lords, and as he gives him the throne of, of David and allows him to rule on the earth. And he will never abdicate that throne once he has it. Friends, that is how the present age will give way to the age to come. 
Friends, in light of these truths, how should we live our lives as Christians today? Well, let me suggest several applications. First of all, in light of all of this, I think we should live in faith. We should live in faith. My friends, if this chapter affirms one thing to us, it's this, that the whole world is in God's hands. That God is always in control. That the course of human events is in God's hands. It is all unfolding exactly as He has ordained that it should. And God is marching all of human history to an end that He has appointed. And the end that He has appointed is good. It is good. And so we can trust God. We can have faith in Him. A faith that never wavers. But then secondly, friends, we can live in hope, which is to say we can live as optimists in the world today. And I know that is difficult because everywhere you look, the headlines are terrible. A lot of us have given up watching the news altogether because it's just too hard to bear looking at man's inhumanity to man day after day. Sometimes we wonder, have all things just completely spun out of control No, friends, we are in the dark chapters of world history right now, but it will get better. God himself, in dramatic fashion, will reorder this world, and he will make it better. In fact, we are in the very last part of Daniel's prophecy as I speak. Three of the four kingdoms have come and gone. We are heading toward the last part of his prophecy. Our Lord will come for us. And then he will unleash his judgments and then descend with us and establish his kingdom. It is so close, my friends. And so we can have hope. We can be optimists about the future, even as we're pessimistic about the state of fallen human nature. And we can have patience in times of adversity, knowing that even in those times when evil seems to be triumphing, And when the people of God are suffering, even in those times when good is being declared evil and evil is being called good, even when your life seems to be in constant danger, yet the world is still moving according to God's providence, it will reach its appointed end and the end will be glorious. We can live in hope, my friends. And then finally, we can also live in love, specifically live with love to God expressed in worship. Friends, God is worthy of our worship. God is the infinite and eternal spirit in whom all things have their source, support, and end. He never abdicates his throne. He never ceases to be the sovereign over this universe. He is also a good God with a good plan for all of his people. Even in times of suffering, he has a purpose for it. And he's going to redeem it for good, just as he did with his own son and his crucifixion and death. He is a God worthy to be worshipped in all circumstances of life. In his grace, God has decided to include us in his amazing plans. and We can praise him for that too. So, friends, let's go to the Lord in prayer, praising Him now. Our Father, we thank You so much for revealing to Daniel Your plan for world history. And we thank You for the affirmation that it it offers us, that You are always in control. 
Lord, truly the, the kingdoms of men are like hideous beasts. And they arise, and then they fall, but then the next one takes its place. But Lord, we know that you are still in control through it all. We know that you never leave and for, or forsake your people through it all. And Lord, we know that you take every adversity that we face and you will turn them around and use them for good. Lord, we know that your kingdom is coming and that when it is established on the earth, it will be glorious. We know that the time is coming when all sin and sickness and death and sorrow will be no more. And so, Lord, as our Bibles end, so we end our time together. May you come quickly. Amen.